not going to believe this. You forgot. No. No, we actually, actually we were married by this time 42 years ago. And 42 years ago, I said to Dan, so you know, when we celebrate our 42nd anniversary, the place I want to be is here at the church. That's what I said. <laughs> and may lightning now strike me down, right? <laughs> nah, nothing like that. Okay, I'm just going to use this kind of as a jumping off place. Uh, John chapter 1, verse number 1. have two questions this evening. John chapter 1, verse number 1. So we ask the pastor, we'll read the verse of scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So, question. Why is the symbol of, of a fish become kind of a... And we understand, I should have read maybe Colossians chapter 2, we're not under signs and there's no holy days and we understand all that, or we should. But why is a symbol of a fish a symbol of Christianity? What? Fisher of men? No. Well, I'm sorry? The miracle of fish? Okay. And I would give you bonus points if you know whose car this is. Uh, you're good. So that's what we're talking about. That kind of fish, in fact, what kind of tradition says, and we'll explain why it has become a simple fish, and both of your answers are very good, is wrong. And tradition has it that like people in post-Christian time, persecution, and I probably wouldn't be very good at doing this, but you would meet somebody on the road, you know, walking, you didn't have the roads that we had today, and someone would draw half of the fish, and you would draw the other half, and so you knew you were a believer. That's a little bit closer up. That's what we're talking about. Also, in the catacombs in Rome, there, were, there was a lot of persecution. It's believed that, again, the symbol of the fish, and we'll explain why. Here is the Greek word for fish. And the Greek word transliterated over is, and if you want to uh, pronounce it, it's ichthyus. All right? Hold on that thought. Now, also, notice some other English words that come into our English language. If ichthyus is a fish, ichthyology is a branch of zoology that deals with fish. So that word, you, that word is specifically and has come transliterated over from the Greek language. And of course, like I said, the easiest other one to identify is a cardiologist. Because in the Greek language, cardia, it's K-A-R-D-I-A, is the word heart. And so you have some other words dealing with the idea of ichthyus and the idea of fish. There is the writing. And when I took... Corneia Greek, which is the language of the common, and that was the language the Greek was written in, I was taught lowercase let letters. So this is a little bit more difficult for me, but those are all capital letters, and th that word there is the word fish. 
So you're still asking yourself, right, how do ichthyists and that fish still become a symbol of Christianity because even though you gave good answers, fisher of men and all the miracles with fish, that's still not the right answer. Do you want to know what the right answer is? You will be excited and amazed. Okay, so the Greek word for fish, I said, is ichthyus. Iota is the first letter, and it's the first letter of the name for Jesus. So what we're going to do, you just go down through that word, you go back here, ichthyus. When you go through this, these letters, each of these letters are the first letter of a word that has significance. So here is Iota, that's Jesus. And so that is why this became a that, that's why this symbol became a symbol of Christianity, because they knew Ichthyus was a fish, but the, the letters, an acrostic. So the first, if I go back here, so Chi, the second letter of Ichthyus, is the first letter of the Greek word for Christ, Christos. Theta is the first letter in the Greek word for God, Theos. Epsilon is the first letter in the Greek word for son, weos. And then uh, sigma is the first letter in the Greek word for savior. So when you understand that, what do you, what do you, when you put this together and you see this, what do you have? You have Jesus Christ, God, Son, and Savior. So that, that is why ichthyus is a symbol, or the fish became a symbol of Christianity, is because of the acrostic, if you want to say, dealing with what you just see on the screen. Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. And as I said, tradition has it that people who would meet would draw you would draw half the fish, and if I, you knew what you were doing, you would draw the other, other half of the fish signifying you were a Christian. I'm, I guess it's supposed that if you met someone who wasn't a Christian, he was wondering what you were doing, and you then would know this person is not a believer. But that's, that's how the, the fish came into being. Well, uh, uh, the fish came into a symbol of being because, again, there's the fish, and this transliterated over from the Greek language to our language is ichthyus. That's, you know, and like I said, it's just interesting. Ichthyology is, a, is our English word, and that is a study of a branch of zoology, a study of fish. And as we've, we've shared this, not this word, but other words in times past, how many Greek words are actually sitting in our English language, we just don't realize it, and that's where they come from. Do you have a question concerning that? Does it make sense? Okay. And your other answers were good. It just this is this is what it, it in, entails. Okay. Turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen. I'm sorry. You still do. I don't go ick. I just don't. I just don't eat it. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. So question. In light of COVID nineteen, we'll read the scripture, and this 
in light of uh, COVID-19, should we be following 2 Chronicles 7.14? 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. And one thing that we always, what is one word that we always talk about when you look to a scripture, what do you need? Context. That, that is number one key. I mean, obviously, rightly dividing the word of truth, but number one key is look to the context. What is God trying to say? What is the context we've given you in times past that, and I don't have it on the screen, but Miles Coverdale, Golden Rule of Bible Study, basically put out and in, in, um, loosely quoting, look at the context, look what goes before, what follows after. That, that, that's what we need to do. And so often people do not do that. They simply go to a verse of scripture and see a verse of scripture taking out of its context and not looking to what the context is. So what, so questions? Oh, I didn't, okay, so context, absolutely. So who are my people and what land is God going to heal? In the context, not, don't, Israel and Israel. So it's the land of Israel and it's the, the children of Israel that we see here because that's what the context is talking about. Also, dealing with this verse of scripture, and yet the answer is the people are the nation of Israel because we understand and realize that in times past that we're talking about, I mean, you know the verse of scripture. Go over with me to Ephesians chapter number two for a moment. Remember, Context, rightly dividing, and then understanding, and as we rightly divide the, the word of God, we see it from a dispensational perspective. God does not change in relationship to his divine attributes, but we know that God's dealing with mankind have changed down through the course of time, right? Law, no law, law, law no law, law added, law abolished. That, that's a change. God has not changed because of who he is and his attributes are divine and he is the God of love, the God of, of grace. But now we're talking today that we're in the dispensation of all grace. So in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning here, verse 11, and you understand in times past, times past, but now in Ephesians 2 and the ages to come. In verse number 11, wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision of the flesh made by hands. So there was religious name calling. There, there was clearly a difference between Jew and Gentile. And, and we, you know, again, if you look at the earthly ministry of Christ, there are several ways besides looking at the Gospels. We know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, synoptic Gospels, and you have the Gospel of John. And the truth and reality is you could do it geographically. Where, where is Christ at when he is saying these things? You could do it dealing with the miracles. Where is he at when he performs these miracles? Who is he talking to? And the truth and the reality is there's a lot of people who believe or have this concept that Christ is going throughout the whole world and preaching a message. And 
we know what is said, and we know in the book of Matthew, I am only sent to who? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we understand and, and recognize that during the earthly ministry of Christ, I mean, he talks to the Syrophoenician woman, Matthew 15. He talks to the Gentile, the Roman centurion, Matthew chapter number 8. And then in John 4, you have the woman at the well. Other than that, there's no re recorded ministry among the Gentiles because he was not dealing with the Gentiles and we could talk and we've talked upon the Roman centurion and the great faith that he had because he, he, he understood that he was a man of authority himself and he knew and when Christ said, well, I'll go to your house to heal your servant, you don't have to go there. I'm a man of authority. If I say this is what a person does, if I say don't do this, that's what the, the soldier does. And he's understanding that Christ is, is God, that he didn't have to go there physically. He could just say, I command that that man be healed, and it would have, would have occurred. And then, of course, with the, the Gentile woman, the Syrophoenician woman coming from north, the north, what is, what is modern-day Lebanon. And the issue there, and where she had a daughter grievously vexed with the devil, she comes to the Lord. We do something. He, he walks away. She turns to the disciples. The disciples come back to him. And he says, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she understands that in God's program at that time, that she is not the child of God. She's a dog. Yea, Lord, even the dogs eat which fall from the children's table. And for that, for that saying, read Matthew 15. Read Mark 7 for, for, for that saying. Her daughter was healed, and the devil was cast out. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, that at that, that at that time, in times past, you Gentiles, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. And again, as we talk about it, it's, it's not that God is there in heaven. He doesn't care about us. The issue is we have his word but we have to understand his word so in 2nd Chronicles seven fourteen, when it talks about if my people which are called by my, by my name do these things this is what I, I will do also and if you want to go back to 2nd Chronicles seven fourteen, what does the presence of the word if indicate in 2nd Chronicles seven fourteen to you I'm sorry a condition, right? It was, it was, it was conditional. It's, it's certainly not unconditional. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. What, what else? Is there anything else? The if the presence of the if indicates. No, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm just okay. Okay, they, they had control, and it was already said, it, it, the, and answers. It was a conditional promise based on Israel's obedience, the national obedience. But in another one, you think of Exodus 19, 5 and 6, right? Israel was to be a kingdom of priests. What? If you obey my voice and keep my covenants. Israel didn't do that, did they? And what happened? God didn't go through all the tribes. 
Instead, he goes through the one tribe, the tribe of Levi, which we understand. So the if shows us, as you said, that it was something conditional. This is conditional. It's not, it's not just when my people do this, this is what I'm going to do. And we're, we're, we're living today, as we know, in the dispensation of all grace. And on Sunday nights, we've been talking about, for the last few weeks, the spiritual blessings. And I used, I used Ephesians 1.3 as an umbrella. The, here, they are, here it is. Now let's then expand and expound on them and enum, enumerate them, which we've been doing. Well, why do I say that? Because, because just think for a moment. Ephesians 1.3, written today for the church, the body of Christ. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, right? And in Ephesians 1.3, there is no what? There's no if. Just, just pause for a moment and think upon that, what, what that means. And like I said, we've spent the last several weeks in enumerating, expounding on some of those spiritual blessings we have. Well, what happens if there would have been an if there? What would have happened if Ephesians 1.3 said, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bless you with all these spiritual blessings if you pray at least one hour a day. Salvation can be taken away, and then what? Those spiritual blessings are conditional upon what, whatever the condition is. So if God said, if you do this, then, if and then. Well, God here... You see in, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, an if and then promise in Ephesians 1.3, and I understand it is spiritual, but there's no if and then. We are blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places when? At, the, at, point, at a point in time of our salvation, not after we've obeyed God. So this is God telling Israel if and then, and as you said, it was absolutely a conditional statement. If Israel did it, this is what God would do. If Israel didn't do it, this God wouldn't do it. And ultimately, we know that Israel disobeys God. We've talked about this in Daniel chapter number two, when King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and then he turns to his astrologers, the soothsayers, the Babylonians, and says, look, I, I want to know what it is. And they, they say, good, you, you tell us what, you, what your dream was all about, and we'll tell you what it means. And he's, he's furious. And he decides to, and I know people say it's a forgotten dream, but I think what it is, he wanted to put his people to the test. And what he says is, no, you tell me what I dreamt and then the interpretation, and when you do that, I'll know it's true. And, and they, they're furious. And he then is go, going to execute them, and Daniel and his three friends would have been a part of that group. But as we said before, Daniel and his friends immediately turned to God. Those other people... The Babylonians, the soothsayers, they never turned to, to, we understand their gods were false, but they never said, well, maybe we better call upon the name of our gods to figure something out because our life is at stake. They just said to the king, the only way that anyone could figure this is the spirit of God be within them, and Daniel had the spirit of God. So, 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 so what, you say, well, what, is that, what are you getting at? Well, later on, when Daniel then is given... Not only the dream and the interpretation, but I believe he is also given why King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. He, he, King Nebuchadnezzar was under the, the pretense that his kingdom was a forever kingdom. 
What's going to happen? You know, how long is my kingdom going to go on and on? And Daniel's got to tell him that your kingdom is going down. And it's going to be conquered by an inferior kingdom. And that kingdom's going to be conquered by an inferior kingdom. And that kingdom. And then finally the stone's going to come. And the stone then is going to smite this image and pulverize it. And the stone becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. And that kingdom will stand forever. And of course that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The smiting stone. Well, in the interpretation, we're not going to go back there, but in Daniel chapter 2, verse about 38, King Nebuchadnezzar, not Babylon, because Babylon existed prior to this. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. We could take you to Deuteronomy 28. Who is to be the head, who is to be the, head of the nations? Israel was. So that tells me, because again, if you go back to Deuteronomy 28, there was, a, there was the blessing side of the law, which had an if component, and if you, if you didn't do these things, the flip side was what? The curses. And one of the curses was, instead of being the head of the nations, you, you were going to be the tail of the nations. Literally, they became the tail of a Gentile dog. Why? Because they did not obey God. So here in Second Chronicles, and I understand people, and, and not just even related to COVID-19, anytime there's... A, natural crisis or something going on or natural situation, people turn here and say, well, this is what Christians need to do because if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble them and, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. Our sins are already forgiven through the blood of Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to you know, understand and realize. And then as we think about this, we, we know that in the dispensation of, of God's grace, we know that the church, the body of Christ, has no physical promises or blessings. And, and what a comparison when you go back, in fact, real quickly, just go back to Matthew chapter 6. And then as we talk about that, and we would emphasize, and there are no national promises for, the, for our country, Right? Because literally, our country is not even found in the Word of God. We, we understand and know what's ahead, dealing with, and not timing, but we know the rapture of the church, the body of Christ, followed by the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period, the second coming, the millennial kingdom, great white throne judgment, and then eternity forever and what Christ said. And what Daniel said, the stone comes and this stone is going to smite this image and the stone is going to stand forever because no one is ever going to conquer the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, which we're a part of, but our hope is not here on earth, will stand and go on forever and ever and ever. So the church, the body of Christ, we know has no physical promises and we have no national promises today because God is not dealing with a nation He's dealing with what? Individuals. We, we have been reconciled to God. And I've heard people try to explain that, well, even the nations have been reconciled to God. That's, that's not the issue in Ephesians chapter 2 or 2 Corinthians 5. That's not, that's not the issue. National reconciliation is not the issue today in the dispensation of God's grace. Matthew chapter 6. And, and here, here are words. And, and, and again, context, knowing who, when's it being spoken, what, what's in front of it, what's, what's the 
context of the whole book of Matthew even. Why is that important? Because I could, let me read these, these verses of scripture and I'll ask you one simple question. Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body and what you shall put on. Is not um, the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much more better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment and consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they toil not, neither do they spin? And, and, not, and yet I say to you that not even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like, arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God also clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have no need of all these, th that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Found the book of Matthew. We, we know. 5, 6, and 7 is what we would call the Sermon on the Mount. Who said these words? Lord Jesus Christ, right? Lord Jesus Christ. Are these words applicable to the body of Christ today? No, because later on we can show you in the book of Philippians. We, we, we know Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through strengtheneth me, right? Do you ever read the context of that verse of scripture? We, we know the verse, but go back a couple of verses of scripture to verse number 10. What, what, what are you getting at? Paul had to learn how to be content. If, if Paul had food, if he didn't have food, if he had clothing, if he didn't have well, if he had no food and no clothing, and later on we could show you that the saints of Jerusalem were poor and that Paul was going to take an offering for them, why weren't they running around quoting this verse of Scripture, right? And people would say today, well, Christ said it. Absolutely he said this. So there, there is no, 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 no question about it. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're not, we know they're not for us today. He's not talking about the church, the body of Christ. And, and again, you think about Israel in the wilderness. How, did, how, how were they taken care of? The, the manna and the quail. What, what, what about Israel in the future where, when the middle of the tribulation period hits and you cannot buy or sell without the mark of the beast, right? What's, what's going to happen? You say, well, how are they going to live? Look what he is telling him. Don't, don't worry about those things. God's going to take care of you. You just need to do what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and not the body of Christ. The kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. These are Christ's words. We want to obey the Lord's words, right? Absolutely. But these are not the Lord's words today to the church, the body of Christ. These are the Lord's words dealing who? The nation of Israel. Again, context, context, context. 
Genesis to Revelation, 66 books. Are those 66 books given by the inspiration of God? Absolutely. Are they God-breathed? Are they God's words? Absolutely. But in the context of those, like 2 Chronicles 7.14 or Matthew 6, what, what do we need to do? We need to rightly divide the word of truth. And so when we see this, we understand today no physical promises, no, no national promises. Each of us might wonder, you know, where will the United States be? I mean, you understand not only COVID, but all the unrest. Where, the, where will the United States be in five years, ten years? And like I said, I don't think about it for, you know, myself and Nancy, but you think about your grandchildren, bless the great-grandchildren, everyone here in the families. We don't know. We know God is for us. We, 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 we know that what? We know that God cares upon us. He's not just way out there, out in the universe that doesn't care about us. No, that's not, that's not the thought. And we know that we're certainly supposed to be praying uh, for our country. And we know that over in 1 Timothy, we're to be praying for our country. We have no physical promises. We, we, we could slip into a depression. We could, we could slip into, you know, that our country is overthrown by whoever and we have to deal with it, right? We, we, we don't know, but you, you can't put the principles of Second Chronicles 7.14. You can't put the, the prayer, if you go back and read Daniel's prayer in the ninth chapter when he's at the end of his life, as it were, and the, and the captivity is almost over, and he's in Babylon, and he is praying because he realizes, he's reading God's word, and he realizes that he doesn't want to be the cause of it being delayed, so he prays and he's confessing sin, he's doing all those things, and people might say, well, that's a model prayer. Or Matthew 6, the so-called Lord's Prayer, it's really the disciples' prayer, because the Lord was teaching the disciples how to pray. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Don't worry about these things. God is going to provide. And if you read in Revelation chapter 12, when the Satan is kicked out of heaven, and he comes down to earth. What's, what's going to happen? I mean, he's going to be like that roaring lion that's going to walk up and down the earth, devouring whoever he wants to. And believing Israel will understand what is going on. What do they do? They're going to flee to the wilderness. How are they? How, they're going to be in the wilderness. How are they going to be fed? God's going to feed and clothe them. Because they have those kind of promises we don't. So in the midst of everything, of any national Disaster, world disaster, people think of Second Chronicles 7.14, but that's, that is not our message today. But we are to pray. We know that. We're to be praying for our country, First Thessalonians, or First Timothy chapter 2, and other verses of Scripture. We know that we are to pray. Let's just look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our eternal God, as we come before you, we thank you again for Lord Jesus Christ, for all that he means to us. We thank you for the word of God that we have, uh, God. Help us to understand it so that we can be obedient to your words for us today. We pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.